0: Okay, we are starting 2 Timothy tonight. I wanted to try it last week, but I was so sick. Okay, this is the second now of the uh, three pastoral epistles, as it says at the top. The word epistles means letters, as it says in the parentheses there. And this is our seventh lesson out of 13. There are um, 13 different chapters in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And uh, they're called pastoral because they're written to two men who were pastors or bishops. They were Timothy, obviously, and Titus. Timothy and Titus. Now, this one is written quite a bit later than the one we just finished up. First Timothy had six chapters in it. Second Timothy now has four chapters in it. And this is really a, a very personal letter. And it's Paul's last letter. It could be that Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, at least 12. Probably Hebrews, but this was his last. He's in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. He's in a prison called Mamartine. Mamartine prison. And he'll never get out. Uh, this is before, when he goes before Nero for the second time, and he is beheaded. So the year is about 67 A.D. We know that he was killed, Paul. This is probably written 66 A.D. maybe, maybe 67 A.D. Uh, This is his last will and testament, and especially when we get to chapter 4, he knows that. And he talks about how he's ready uh, to be offered. And so um, it's a very personal letter. Uh, I don't know who the last person you would write to is. Uh, But think of it this way, as Paul writing his last letter, it would probably be your most important letter, or to somebody that you just really loved, or dearly loved, or really were trying to invest in, uh, to keep your life and legacy going, and the Lord's work going, and Paul chooses Timothy, Paul chooses Timothy, and in this second epistle, so, Let's get into it here. we got about 18 verses to go through tonight. Verse number 1 says, it's an introductory, uh, the first uh, few verses, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. This is his, his introduction <coughs> to his letter, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. All right, that's an important statement. You don't just take this on yourself. Uh, when God has an office, it it better be the will of God, or we'll mess it up. We'll mess it up. It's got to be God's will. According to the promise of the life which is in Christ Jesus, that's just a great doctrinal statement. The only life there is is in Jesus Christ. Not in religion or church or dead works, but in Jesus Christ. That word life there speaks two things to me. Eternal life, number one, and abundant life. Christ gives us both. He gives us eternal life, but it doesn't end there. It begins there. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I believe he's talking here about not only eternal life, but the abundant life he has by finding the will of God. Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. And that's when you're going to really live. That's when you're going to really live, is when you not only have eternal life, but you find God's will and you enter into that abundant life that that is for all of us. I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly, and it's all in Jesus Christ. It's it's, it's so simple. Uh, Don't let your life be distracted from Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy, verse number 2, My dearly beloved son, probably led him to the Lord based upon the, the, um, uh, what he wrote in the first letter and to this one, my dearly beloved son, or else he just had become a dear son uh, to him, um, more than a biological son could possibly be. Uh, sometimes you fall deeply in love with those who you are working with in the ministry. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We mention that all of Paul's letters end with grace and peace. Um, But only the pastoral letters, the three have the word mercy in it. Grace, mercy, and peace. Only in 1st, 2nd, Timothy, and Titus does he include the word mercy. Never in any of his other letters... Does he have that word? And I don't think that's just accidental or anything. I think preachers need an abundance of mercy uh, because of what they face. And uh, we don't just need mercy because we've sinned. We need mercy sometimes because we're opposed, uh, persecuted, uh, you know, All kinds of things happen maybe to those in the ministry that others don't face as much of and they just need God's mercy uh, to make it through in their calling. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now I don't know if there's anybody in your life who you think about night and day in prayer. But if there is, that person is very precious to you. Uh, if you're remembering them every day, every night. And Paul's not exaggerating here. He says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers. Now keep in mind that Paul has been in the ministry for almost 40 years here. 40 He's been in a long time. Since they laid their coats at a young man's feet named Saul in Acts chapter 7. Uh, until he was what he described to Philemon as Paul the Aged. And so we have quite a history of Paul from being a young man to being an old man. And those, when he was a young man in Christ, he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers. We ought to have some forefathers. We really should. And I am so grateful at this stage of my life I can look back to the beginning. And in my case, God dropped something in my lap when I just started called the Tri-State Independent Baptist Preachers Fellowship. Uh, We started the church in May of 1983. In 1984 a preacher down in Erie, Pennsylvania, Dr. Don Roach began a, a fellowship that has continued for over 40 years, almost 40 years, not quite, And immediately I had a fellowship where I was able to go and sit with experienced veteran ministers right from the start. Right from the start. And I I just started to go to every single meeting. I never missed at the beginning. And those old timers, and I can mention their names. They're all in heaven now. But they were like my forefathers. My forefathers. They helped me so much. And Paul is thanking God whom I served for my forefathers. With a pure conscience, what a, what a testimony he had. All of his motives were pure in the ministry after he got right with God. That without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Uh, Timothy was so important to him. He was his dearly beloved son, verse 2. And he was somebody that he prayed for every morning and Every night, again, think, do you have anyone like that in your life that's so dear to you, what they're doing? Maybe, maybe you could put Pastor Barron in that slot for now and just start to pray for him every morning and every night, every morning, every night, every morning with what he's got coming up on his life. Spurgeon has this note on the backside for verse 3. For this Paul thanks God. He never forgot to pray for Timothy, And it is a matter of thankfulness. When we feel moved to pray, though it is for another, the spirit of prayer is essentially the same, whatever its object. And we ought to be thankful when we feel continually able to pray for a friend. Oh, but it is a good thing sincerely to follow after God. May we be helped to do so. And so... He, um, he was very, very uh, dear to uh, Paul, um, and uh, we, we, I hope that young preachers, those of us maybe that are older, will have the same gratitude that, hey, somebody's coming up uh, to continue the work of the Lord, and there's so few, there's always been so few, that we should thank the Lord for everyone there is, and pray for them day and night. Pray for them day and night, and and pray that God's mercy would be upon them too, because boy, do they have a bullseye on them. Verse 4 says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Now, I believe this verse 4 is a compliment, and I don't believe it happened, but it was a great desire. So here is Paul in verse 4. He's in Mamartine prison in Rome, as bad as it can be. He's kept there till his death, and he, he greatly desires to see Timothy. Boy, that's just a, that, that is just a compliment of Timothy. I mean, I don't think he ever saw Timothy again. But he says at the end of the verse 4, that I may be filled with joy. Uh, The presence of Timothy. If Timothy could get to me here in prison, if I could just see Timothy one more time, I would be filled with joy. Uh, Now that would be a good kind of Christian to be, wouldn't it? That just the memory of you, the memory of me, the thought of us would bring joy to somebody. And I said, boy, I wish, do you ever have someone? You say, boy, I hope I never see him again. (laughs) Am I just being honest or what? I never hope I never see her again. But boy, he just said, I greatly desire to see thee. Now, in the middle of the verse, it says, being mindful of thy tears. I think that's a compliment. Timothy had tears. Jesus had tears. Jeremiah had tears. Preachers and leaders uh, should and will live with a broken heart. You've got to understand that. Uh, it never ends, and that was the question I was asked at my ordination forty years ago. Are you ready to live the rest of your life with a broken heart? Uh, somebody in this church Sunday morning said something to me. I went home and cried. Their life is altered now. It just—it it shouldn't be that way. Their life is altered now. It'll never be the same. Sometimes you just cry. And you say, God, how do I help them now? But but there should be tears, brother. It's not wrong to cry when when people just uh, just go out of the way and do their own thing. Contrary to what you preached and taught and prayed and counseled. And and, and I specifically counseled this person. Don't do that. Please don't do that. But there's so much joy, too. So much joy. But there's tears, brother. A broken heart that never ends. It's always going to be. You'll have the joy of the Lord. But there will always be somebody or something breaking your heart. Now, this was a wonderful verse, verse 5, for all ladies especially. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which, first, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. <coughs> I say this sometimes. Somebody's got to start a Christian legacy. doesn't matter what you were in your past, but somebody somewhere has got to start a Christian legacy. And in this case, it was a lady named Lois. Grandma Lois. I don't know what she had to base her faith on. She didn't have the Word of God like we have. But she became a woman of unfeigned faith, and then she passed it on to her daughter Eunice, who then, for some reason, married a Greek guy. You read that back in First Corinthians sixteen one. He, he was a mixed uh, Timothy was mixed Greek and Jewish. Um, but they had unfeigned faith, and they instilled it in Timothy, or helped to, whether Paul led him to Christ or not, we don't know, but it's certainly the influence of a grandma and a mother profoundly affected this boy. And women should take great uh, hope in a verse like this that you can profoundly affect even boys, the power of family influence. And uh, I'm sure Timothy growing up with the most important woman in his life, his mother, and his grandmother just totally devoted to Christ, unfeigned. I mean, not not nothing artificial. Uh, influenced him. Influenced him. And so somebody started a legacy in every family. Uh, somebody's got to. You know, in our family it was my cousin Gary, uh, who's still a Baptist preacher down in Maryland. And Gary Cole was the first one we know that ever got saved. And uh, I inquired once about my Genealogy, and I was steered away from it. <laughs> I said you don 't want to know about the Coles uh, you 're going to study a bunch of criminals and um, but Gary got saved, and he started something that affected my dad. He was his first cousins first cousins my cousin first, my dad 's first cousin Gary, still alive, affected my dad. dad affected us and, 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 and half of our oh, probably half of our family is all saved now somebody 's got to start something. Somebody's got to start something. You might be the only one in your family uh, who's taken the stand, but God will be with you. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance, verse 6, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. <coughs> I want you to notice on Spurgeon's notes under verse 6, he says, There are many kinds of gifts. All Christians have some gift. Some may have but one talent, but all have at least one. Every living saint has his charge to keep his talent over which he is a steward. A measure of gift is in all of us, needing to be stirred up. These should be used well. That which is expended in the master's service is laid up in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth Corrupt. So don't bury your gift in the dirt, but use it. And as it says here in verse 6, stir up. Now, I don't know if that was a concern Paul had for Timothy, because things can just settle down. For any one of us with our gift, we can get to where we can exercise our spiritual gift. Um, without even trying, if, after we've done it for so long. Uh, but it, it needs to be stirred up and uh, kind of like uh, ranch dressing or something. Is it ranch? No. Italian? Yeah, you've got to stir it up all the time, you know. Barely get it out and it's separating already. Uh, what's your gift? Stir up the gift of God. That is in you. Now, there's a little statement here I want to explain. It says, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Keep in mind that the Apostle Paul uh, was apostolic. He was apostolic, and, and, and there was a difference between the apostolic age and the church age, although they overlapped, that uh, there was the. Uh, the ability of the apostles to put a gift in somebody by the laying on of their hands. In Romans 1 and verse 11, Paul said, For I long to see you that I may may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. But today I believe the Holy Spirit imparts to every believer at least one spiritual gift. Whether anyone's ever laid their hands on you or not. Uh, but Paul was apostolic, and so I just I just wanted to explain that I think because I don't want someone taking verse six out of context and going around laying hands on people trying to put some gift into them or, or something. Those guys were different back then, man. They were, Peter's shadow would just touch somebody and they'd be healed. It was an amazing time and a unique time and a needed time because they didn't have the word of God yet and they. Confirm the word with signs and wonders uh, following the preaching of the word. But, anyways, uh now <clears throat> he tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God. So this is this is kind of a personal letter to Paul. Paul to this man Timothy. He's writing the last letter he'll ever write of his life, and he just he wants Timothy's life to count. Um he says, stir up the gift of God in thee. And then he says to him these words in verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now the first time we are ever introduced to Timothy is in 1 Corinthians 16. And when you, <clears throat> when you uh, get to Paul's writing to the church at, uh, at um, the churches in Galatia, he says this, now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I do. Um, there are many, it's an it's a interesting state, uh, study to take the word fear and to study how many very, 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 very good men in the Bible had fears that they had to overcome. And so Paul wrote ahead and said, now when I send Timothy, make sure that he can be with you without fear. Being in the ministry can be fearful sometimes, especially when you have to face things, you have to counsel some people, you know some people did this or that, or you're privy to some information about people, you have to deal with, Things from the pulpit, you have to deal with things in the counseling room, Uh, you have to go out and try to win the lost to Jesus Christ, that can be frightening uh, for some people to just get out there and uh, share the gospel, knowing how some people are going to respond, there's a lot of fears. And so we we should pray, and here he reminds them, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Fear paralyzes us. And fear keeps many, even ministers, even good men, from really accomplishing what God wants them to do in their life. You may have found that fear is a hur- has been a hurdle in your life in so- sometimes, or a wall. Uh, well, you got to either get over or around, because fear is one of the great blockades to blessings. And sometimes you have to minister in fear. Until we get power, love, and a sound mind. Those three things. If we can get the power of the Holy Spirit, we will overcome much of our fears. And then in verse 7, if we can get love, because perfect love casteth out fear. Uh, But we got to let our love get perfected. And then the sound mind if you really have a sound mind and you know what you believe and why you believe it, it it also casts out fear. So there's three ways there in verse 7 that we can overcome our fears is by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of God, and by having a sound mind. I mean, why would you ever fear uh, to stand up for Jesus Christ if you really know with a sound mind who He is and what He did and, and what He's taught And so I think we see some personal insight here in Paul trying to make Timothy a better minister before Paul dies. I think he's sharing some compliments, but also some concerns. And then he says about overcoming fear, verse 8 then, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Uh, I don't know why that emotion affects us, but a lot of times... As believers, we're we just we're, we're ashamed and we almost hope nobody finds out I'm a Christian. Uh, nobody finds out that I know Jesus Christ or I'm a born again. Uh, why would we be ashamed of that? But we all know probably to some extent that we've all struggled with that. So he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me as prisoner. Don't be ashamed of God's people. You know, Once in a while, I've had somebody say, does so-and-so go to your church? And I know what they're going to get at, that they haven't really been the greatest testimony on earth. And I, am I going to be ashamed of them? And sometimes I have to say, yes, they do. And uh, boy, you get an earful. You get an earful sometimes. It happened to me a few times. I don't know about you, but but Paul was in prison, Mamertine prison. And we're going to see in this book, later in the book too, even later in the chapter tonight, that some of the believers turned on Paul. Some of the believers turned on Paul. We're going to see that. And in fact, by the end of the book, he says, Only Luke is with me. And he says, Everybody's just, boy. And um, but he says don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ don't be ashamed of me uh, because he was in prison for the right reasons that was for Jesus Christ but but Timothy be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God the power of the Holy Spirit can enable you to partake in afflictions none of us like that I thought none of us like that thought being sworn at or told to get off their property or, or whatever. Um, nobody likes being afflicted, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be partakers of the afflictions. And then there's such reward about that in heaven, as Spurgeon said. Now, <clears throat> why would we be ashamed of Jesus, verse 8, verse 9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, according not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Look at all that He did for us, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I mean, somehow in the sovereignty of God, God knew by His foreknowledge who would be saved, and He would uh, uh, get His own purpose and grace going in our direction. He'd save us, not by our works, but by Christ. So why would we be ashamed of Jesus when all He does here in verse 9 says, uh, even thinking about us before the foundation of the world, uh, we should not be ashamed of Him. Who has saved us, called us with a holy calling. And there's a little uh, little outline I'll give you real quick. It's a holy calling, verse 9. It's a heavenly calling, Hebrews 3 and verse 1. And it's a high calling, Philippians 3 and verse 14. So we shouldn't trifle with it. Whatever God has called you to do, don't trifle with that. It's holy, it's heavenly and it's high, and there, there's, there there shouldn't be anything higher in our lives than what God has called us to do. Let the world do their own thing, but if we got to walk alone, then let's uh, uh, follow the high calling of God. <clears throat> Verse ten, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought. Life and immortality to light through the gospel. Again, I think Paul is building on this fact. Timothy, don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Look at all that he's done for you in verse 9. Look at all he's done for us in verse 10. Don't forget what Jesus Christ has done for us, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Boy, there's some good news. When you get saved, you just abolish his death. Don't worry about it. No more death penalty for you. Amen. And hath brought life, that's eternal life and uh, abundant life, and immortality, that's an endless life, to light through the gospel. that that simple, old, old story that a kid can understand. We we give death abolished. Life, immortality. Whereunto unto I am appointed a preacher... Uh, this is the message I'm appointed to as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Don't get away from Christ. Don't get into all this deeper life stuff and, in the sense of higher learning. And, and uh, we can do that, but we've got we to gotta preach Christ. have got to see Christ in everything and lift Him up. Notice he's appointed three things here in verse 11, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. A preacher, a missionary, and a teacher. That's what the word apostle means, one cent. Whereunto I am appointed. This is an appointment. This is a divine appointment. Just like a president might appoint somebody to be their ambassador. So Paul said, I have been appointed by God to be a preacher, to be a missionary, and to be a teacher of the Gentiles. Sorry, Peter. They got that all wrong, don't they? The whole Catholic church has got the whole thing wrong. Anything you ever read about Peter, he was the apostle to the Jews. Period. And uh, Paul was always the apostle to the Gentiles. If there ever was a first pope, and there wasn't, never was, never will be, it would have been Paul. He said, unto me are given the care of all the churches. That's what Paul said about himself, not Peter. Peter was the Uh, apostle to the circumcision that's what it says in Galatians Paul was the apostle to the uncircumcision the Gentiles 98.8% of the world is Gentile now because of these appointments and his his positions for which cause I also suffer these things what things? he's in prison he's in the Mamertine prison It's it, it's over He's just waiting to be executed, and why is he suffering for these things? Because he's a preacher, because he was a missionary, because he was a teacher. What a day we live in! We have so much freedom here in America. It's not our fault, but uh, it's something we enjoy. Uh, they're, they're they're not putting preachers in jail yet, or missionaries, or teachers. That might we might come to that, but I'm but but we. What a man Paul was. Just what, what things he suffered. What a good spirit he, he had right to the end and how he's just investing in this guy. And he says, For these which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so he's just taken the last few verses and made much of Jesus Christ. He's just lifted up Christ. And he's just said, uh, uh, Timothy, look at all that Christ has done for us. And I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. That's assurance. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, the day I got saved. That's eternal security. I'm absolutely assured and persuaded Christ is going to keep what I committed to him the day I trusted in him as my Savior. Amen. And here's a charge <clears throat> hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So we see that word sound now several times. And 1 Timothy in here means healthy, sound doctrine. We read about having a sound mind. Here, having sound words. One good way to have sound words is study the book of Proverbs. It really helps us with our social skills. There's so much. In fact, I went through Proverbs once. I put S, period, S, period. Next, the verse after verse after verse after verse after verse that tells you either how to talk or how not to talk. Not believe how much is in there to help us with our social skills so that our words can be powerful and that we can like Paul preach and our speech would not be with enticing words of man's wisdom but a demonstration of the spirit of God and of power and so he's, he's he's about ready to die and he says to Timothy hold fast the form of sound words the world is always changing don't change with them make sure it's sound doctrine sound words um, verse 14 that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us so verse 14 he's got a comment on the back this is what we need if the Holy Spirit is in us we shall never trifle with the truth he is the lover and revealer of truth and he shall press the doctrines of the word of God and the word of God itself near and near to our hearts and Proportion as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So there's some assurance for Timothy. He's basically saying, Timothy, you don't have to do this on your own. Verse 14, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. The Holy Spirit's going to help you keep straight. Keep sound. And uh, now, it's not going to all be roses either. Verse 15, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Boy, let that sink in. Of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. There's no mention of these guys' names anywhere else in the Bible. But um, this is... uh, Something that is replete in history that oftentimes somebody who will give their life to the Lord completely will be forsaken right at the end. Um, classic example is the Lord Jesus Christ where all the sheep scattered and left Him to die alone. And... Um, John the Baptist, it seems like his followers were just off doing something else while he was in prison wondering, are you the one or should we look for another? I, I don't know, I don't, just, just crumbled. I heard a man, a missionary one time, who told me he grew up under Lee Roberson and how Lee Roberson spent about the last year of his life in a nursing home with hardly anyone visiting him. After he had pastored a church of about 10,000 people and had planted over 135 churches in the Tennessee, Georgia area. But the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He didn't complain. He didn't complain. He lived to be 95. Uh, Makes you think of the little story about the old guy in Ecclesiastes, the old wise man, remember that, who saved the city by his wisdom. And as soon as he saved the city, the whole city forgot about him. Just forgot about him. And so, um, not everybody's going to stick with us. Not everybody's going to stick with us. If this happened to Paul, uh, verse 15, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Man, there was a lot of churches over there. They just said, ah, he's in prison. He must have done something wrong. But, praise the Lord, in closing, verses 16-18 through tell us about one wonderful family. The household of Onesiphorus. There's only a couple households mentioned in the whole New Testament. The household of Onesiphorus and the household of Stephanus who had addicted themselves to the ministry to the saints. Remember that? And here's a wonderful family that refused to desert Paul but was a blessing to him in his last days. Let's read it in closing, verses 16 through 18. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. So here's Paul chained. Some people would be ashamed of him and say, what, what, what kind of a Christian is he imprisoned in chains? What, what kind of testimony is that? Where's his God? But not Onesiphorus. But uh, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. And the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things... He ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. They might want to circle the city Rome in verse 17 and the city Ephesus in verse 18 because they are 800 miles away from each other. This guy made some effort to minister to Paul. I'm sure he was a comfort to him. And it's, he seemed to have had the support of his house too, in verse number sixteen. Isn't that wonderful when a whole house just supports the man of God and often refreshes him because it can be can be tough. It wasn't ashamed of my chain when he was in Rome. He sought me out very diligently. <coughs> He had been in prison there before. And this guy made effort. You know, Rome's a big city, always was. He found him. He sought him out very diligently. Just think of that. This is the only thing we know about this guy, is these three verses. But they're a wonderful testimony to him and his family. The Lord grant him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, not for salvation, but mercy. Rewards and in how many things he ministered unto me, thou knowest very well. The Bible says, "Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy." And this guy, just everybody else, was forsaken. Paul, but he said, "Man, this is this guy. Uh, I'm going to help him. Our family's going to help him. We're going to be his friend." And uh, he. Uh, In his last, uh, get ahead of ourselves here. We'll close with this, but uh, in Second Timothy here, the last chapter, chapter four. This is chapter one. He brings his name up in chapter four, in verse nineteen, almost at the close of the book. Salute Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Yes, I want them saluted. I want them honored. Uh, these are honorable people uh, that care about others. So I would encourage you all your life, keep your eye on the preacher, keep your eye on the missionary, keep your eye on the evangelist. Are they down? Are they hurting? Are they being <coughs> persecuted or something? Maybe try to refresh them in some way. All right, Father, we thank you for this first chapter And uh, we thank you for the personal feelings Paul had for Timothy, that he would write the last book of his life with the hopes that this man would continue the work of the Lord and his legacy. And he did. And it was a good investment. Lord, I want to pray that there would be at least one or two people in each of our hearts who we would pray for night and day, that we would see their potential, their potential. Uh, for Thee, O God, and for the Kingdom of God, and we'd pray for them. Lord, we pray now for safety going home on a night like this. Thank You for those that did show up. Help those that are away in Israel. Bless the Vacation Bible School tomorrow. We pray more children would come in, and You'd bless even the bus. And now, Lord, uh, as You've spoken to us somewhere along the line tonight, help us to remember what you've said to us and be doers of the word and not just hearers only for we ask it in Jesus name Amen Amen and you are dismissed and thank you for coming